2: He's not using any kind of temporal weaponry to fight this confederation that have arrayed themselves to fight against him. He's not going to use, you know, uh, Uzis or rocket launchers, or, you know, you fill in the blank. He's simply going to be victorious by using the word and the word alone. That sharp two-edged sword that proceeds out of his mouth.
0: We humans have a lot of misplaced confidence in our advanced weaponry. When you contemplate the sheer power of nuclear weapons, it may strike fear in your heart. But even such a devastatingly powerful weapon is no match for God. The capacity he has for both creation and destruction is beyond anything humans can even dream of achieving. With a simple breath, he can give life, and by merely willing it, he could wipe out all of mankind and bring this fallen world to an end. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 19 as he continues his message, The Glorious Appearing. Not
1: be troubled. I remember
2: Jesus is also called faithful and true. You see that there? He's called faithful and true. Faithful and true to what? Well, simply faithful and true to revealing God to us that is in His character. Uh, The love of God. The mercy of God. The holiness of God. The justice of uh, God. Listen, you want to know what God the Father is like? Just examine and study the life of Jesus Christ. Remember that uh, conversation that Philip, one of Christ's disciples, had with him? Uh, it's recorded for us in the Gospel according to John in chapter 14 and verse 9. And upon that occasion, Philip, uh, I don't know what uh, you know, caused him to ask this question, but uh, nevertheless, Philip asked it, and he said to Jesus, Show us the Father, and it uh, sufficeth us. And so Jesus responds to that uh, request, and he says, Philip, how long have you been with me now? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And thus, we conclude that Jesus is the true and faithful witness of who God the Father is, that is in character, you know, so many people have a, a misconception, a misunderstanding of who God the Father is like. You know, m- many people think that he's this ogre and, uh, with this big club, and every time we do the wrong thing, you know, he's ready to pounce upon us and beat us over the head with that club. But that's, that's not the true character of God, right? God is forgiving. God is patient with us. He's forgiving. He's a God of love. He's a God of, of mercy. We're so thankful for that. But he's also a God of holiness and justice. So anyway, he is also true and faithful, uh, not only in the witness of who God the Father is, but he's also true and faithful in his uh, word. Here, think about this. He is seen coming to execute righteous judgment on the earth as he said he would. Jesus often and frequently talked about this. His promises and warnings have been rejected by many. But in this day, all will know He is faithful and true to His Word. That is when He comes back a second uh, time. Okay, let's go on. Verses 12 and 13. Let me break this down for you. And notice also, describing Jesus further, His eyes were like a flame of uh, fire. The idea here is that Jesus has the capacity to discern the secret of men and women's hearts, uh, scrutinizing everything that's going on in our lives. There's nothing hidden uh, from God. So his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. You know, when I read this, I couldn't help but think of one of the further descriptions of Jesus, the King of Kings. And I think uh, the wearing of this many crowns just... Portrays him in his authority as the king of uh, of kings, and then it goes on to declare, and he had a name with, uh, written that no one knew except himself. Uh, and so I don't, you know, I don't even want to suggest what that name may be, because simply we are told no one knew except himself. So I don't really want to uh, speculate what that name might be, but let me. Let me go ahead and take some license here, if I may. Uh, You know, there there are some people who have suggested that this is actually a reference to what is referred to as a tetragrammaton. That is the four-letter YHWH that make up the name Yahweh, the sacred and secret name of God. Some Bible teachers have suggested that that was the name that is being referred to here. But again, we really don't know. I just thought I'd throw that... Listen, I'm not charging you any extra for that explanation, okay? And uh, so I just thought that that I would uh, uh, mention that. And then he goes on to declare in verse 13, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in uh, blood. Now, uh, we really don't know what this refers to. This could refer to his own blood that was shed on the cross, when Jesus was crucified, dying in our place for our sin. Or it might also refer to the blood of his enemies, the result of this final battle, this final conflict there at the Battle of Armageddon. So we really don't know. Both interpretations are open to speculation. But nevertheless, he was clothed with a robe, uh, dipped in blood. So whether it is a reference to his own blood, shed at Calvary, or the blood of his enemies, we do not know. And then notice the further description. And his name is called the Word of uh, God. Now this is the name whereby his majesty will be manifested for when he comes again to earth, it will be with all authority. Jesus has always been the eternal Word of God. Remember in John's Gospel in chapter 1, we are told, in the beginning was the Word, describing Jesus, and the Word was with God, right from the very foundations of the world, right? He's always been, He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. So John 1, 1 begins, the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 1 begins, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and and the Word was with God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Word was God. And by the way, you know, this is a great text of Scripture to have in your arsenal uh, to refute those who suggest that Jesus is not God, but, you know, a basically good person or a prophet or a teacher. The Bible clearly uh, proclaims of him that he is God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning, but when the Word became flesh, his own people would not receive him. Jesus, because the Gospel of John goes on in the next verse, and it says, and he came unto his own, that is Israel, but his own received him not. They rejected Christ as their uh, Messiah, right? And yet, it was this very word who spoke the world into existence. Jesus, the word of God. And as the eternal word, he was always the expression of God but at His next appearing on the earth, He will exercise full authority in expressing the Father's judicial attitude. Listen, Christ is both the warrior and the Word. Now, with that said, that brings us to our second point, and that is the Lord of hosts, Jesus, and His army. And by the way, you are members of that army. Okay, let's pick up in verse 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So guess what? We're coming back with Jesus also on some white horses. How many of you have ever gone horseback riding before? And uh, okay, well, you're going to get your chance if you've never had before. You know, I remember, if I could uh, share my own experience, Uh, after my wife and I, Diane, got married, We went to uh, Manitou Springs and we rented a cabin up at Pikes Peak up in the Rocky Mountains. It was sort of like a honeymoon. And uh, we were up there for a week or two and uh, we decided that... Now, my wife, Diane, is from New Mexico. So she's had plenty of experiences riding horses. I was from New Jersey. I've never ridden... You know, I rode those goofy ponies, you know, that they go around in circles, you know. When I was a kid, my dad put me up on a pony but I had never ridden a horse. And now I'm up in the Rocky Mountains, right? Up at Pikes Peak, and I'm on this horse. And uh, we happen to, it's funny, because we happen to uh, rent the horses at the time of the day when the horses know intuitively that they are to go back to the stables because it's a time where they're fed, and so at that time of the day, you don't have any control over the horses. They just go, automatically go back to the stables to be fed. So you can imagine, and uh, you know, my wife had control over the, the horses, the reins and stuff, but I'm, this horse is galloping through the Rocky Mountains, me just kind of like holding on for dear life, and is heading back to the stables. And we're actually, you know, I'm talking about galloping through the mountains, going back to the stables. It was pretty... Crazy, let me tell you something. Anyway, I just thought, I don't know why I, tried, I shared that with you, but I thought I'd just throw that in there. But any day, anyway, one day, we're all going to have the opportunity uh, to ride those uh, horses. So, according to verse 14, here we see the captain, who is Jesus, leading his armies from heaven to earth. These are the soldier saints. He took to heaven with them, uh, this it would include the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, and also the tribulation saints as well. Remember, we've already talked about this in one of our previous uh, studies. There's a great soul harvest that comes out of the seven years of tribulation uh, period. Uh, the result of the uh, two witnesses, the 144,000, the angels flying across the heaven proclaiming the everlasting gospel. And uh, and yes, those individuals are martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ because they refuse to take the mark of the beast, but nevertheless, they uh, are a part of this group of uh, people who come back uh, with Jesus upon his second uh, coming. Now, notice the way that they are described for us here in verse uh, 14. Notice their clothing. They're clothed in fine linen, white and clean, which indicates that they are all saved people. So this is the Lord's bride, not ready for the wedding feast, but rather for war. They're a militant force. Now let me give you a couple of cross-references for this, the first of which is found in the book of Jude, which is only one chapter uh, long, in verses 14 and 15. Now Enoch, this this is the Enoch of the book of Genesis, the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, And this is, again, referring to the second coming. Behold, the Lord comes. And who is he, he coming back with? With ten thousands of His saints. Verse 15. To exercise judgment on all. To convict all who are ungodly. Among them, of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken Against them. Okay, so uh, this again is a company made up of Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, and tribulation uh, saints that are coming back with Jesus upon his second coming, but there are also a bunch of angels thrown in for good measure. Let me give you a cross reference for this. So a bunch of angels are coming back at the same time. Uh, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25, in verse 31, there we are told, when the Son of Man comes, and with Him the holy angels. So the angels are going to be a part of this uh, judgment. I guess they'll have some uh, part to play in the execution of this judgment uh, upon this uh, confederation that uh, uh, comes against uh, Jesus. Let me give you another cross reference. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, so there you go, the angels are coming back, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. And then finally, when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was uh, believed. Okay, so Christ, the Lord of hosts, and His army. Now that brings us to our third point this morning, and that is the sword of God. Let's go back to our text, verses 15 and 16. Now out of his mouth, that is Jesus, goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. The idea here is just by the word. You know, when he comes back, he's not using any kind of temporal weaponry to fight this confederation that have arrayed themselves to fight against him. He's not going to use you know, uh, Uzis or rocket launchers or, you know, you fill in the blank. He's simply going to be victorious by using the word and the word along. That sharp two-edged sword that proceeds out of his mouth. That with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness, and the wrath of Almighty God. And he was on his robe and on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, so this description of Jesus with the sword issuing out of his mouth. And by the way, this is the same way that Jesus is portrayed when John, for the first time, received the revelation. Remember back in chapter uh, 1? In verse 16, remember uh, John on the Lord's Day as he was worshiping the Lord, uh, the same way that we on the Lord's Day, Sunday, worship the Lord. And from behind him, he heard this sound and it was likened unto a trumpet. So he turns in the direction of where that sound had come from and he sees Jesus clothed in the garments of a high priest and out of his mouth, there's this sharp two-edged sword. So the first time that Jesus is portrayed here in the book of Revelation, he's portrayed in the same way. Revelation chapter 1 in verse 16. But here, it is the fulfillment of that great messianic prophecy that's recorded for us in the prophet Isaiah in chapter 11 in verse 4. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And again, this is portraying the second coming and the result of that. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. That is by his word. So the sharp sword, the sharp two-edged sword, the word of God. Remember, that's the way that the word is depicted first in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, in verse 12. Here's another cross-reference for you. For the Word of God is alive and is powerful. You know, let me just stop there for a moment. I want you to think about that. Is alive. What a beautiful way to describe the Word. You know, you can't sit in a service like this one, and if you really have a heart to want to know God and serve God, where the Word of God is going forth across the pulpit, you make a connection with it uh, through the ministry and the operation of the Holy Spirit, where it doesn't produce some kind of effect within your life. That's the capacity that God's Word has upon the hearer. And that's exactly why we place such a high premium upon the study and the teaching of the Word of God. Right? We need to regularly digest and eat the Word of God every day. The transforming effect that it has upon the hearer. It's alive. There's nothing like this in the entire universe the Word of God, how it powerfully transforms the hearer into the image of God's own Son, Jesus Christ, right? Conforming us into the image. Getting the work that God wants to do within our lives and through our lives. So for the Word of God is alive and is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Now why is it depicted in that way? Because it pierces even to the division of the soul and the spirit. It cuts through all of the nonsense, all of the things that are untrue. You know, all of the the philosophies and and the attitudes of mankind, the mores of our society, those things that are against the things of God and the teachings of God. Only the word of God has that capacity. It just cuts through all of those things. All of the things that are false, all of the things that are untrue, all of the things that might be popular and accepted, you know, by man. The philosophies of our world. Today, only the Word of God has that capacity and of the joints and the marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our uh, hearts. And so, again, once again, as I've already suggested, Jesus isn't engaging in this battle, throwing punches. He just speaks the Word, and His enemies are soundly defeated. Now, remember... He demonstrated this sort of authority before in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when he instructed the disciples to, wa- to watch and pray? Remember the prayer that he prayed? If there be any other way that this cup could pass from my lips, but nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. This took place the night before he was taken and, and cruelly uh, dealt with and ultimately crucified. Remember he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. They, he came in, with a company, it's been suggested, of over 200 men who were armed with clubs and swords. I don't know what they were expecting. They were going, you know, they were only going to, to take one man, who was Jesus. Remember, they were, uh, they were sent uh, by the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. And uh, so a company of 200 men went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, there Jesus stood alone. The other disciples had fallen asleep. And whoever led this procession of soldiers asked Jesus the question, Are you Jesus? And Jesus responded and said, I am. And as he responded and said, I am he, the whole company of at least 200 men, we are told, in John's Gospel in chapter 18 in verse 6, fell backward and fell to the ground. In my Father's
1: house There's a place for me In my Father's house
0: Where I long to be oh, my We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, Please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online at oneplace.com by searching for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Fenizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at HarvestNYC.org. If you have any questions for us, just give us a call at 212-247-1877. We'd be honored to pray for you too, so feel free to let us know how we can do that for you. That number again is 212-247-1877. Would you like to connect with us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just follow the links at HarvestNYC.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House.
1: There's a place for